The reading this evening is from the book of Acts, chapter 9, beginning at the first verse. If you'd like to follow it in the church Bibles, it's page 1102. Acts 9, 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up. And go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men travelling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptised, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening, everybody. Good to see you. My name is Chris. If we haven't met, it'd be lovely to um, chat to you afterwards. 
Good to be with you tonight. Uh, let me uh, pray. And do, uh, do keep your Bibles open uh, so you can follow along as we look at this passage together. Let, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much that you are Lord of your world and you're Lord of your church. So Father, feed us now with what we need to hear and help us to trust you for our lives and for the growth of your kingdom. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yes, so um, in this uh, new series of sermons, we are looking at how God worked through and in uh, the life of Paul. He's known as Saul in this passage tonight. Um, here's a book that might be helpful to you. Um, some of our small groups are using this as well. It's called Kingdom Growth by Dominic Smart. Uh, do have a look at this afterwards if you'd like. I really recommend this book to you. Um, let me just say a few words of introduction, really, um, to get our bearings in Acts. If you don't know, uh, Acts was written by a guy called Luke. And Luke traveled with Paul. And Luke was a doctor, so, I don't know, multi-talented kind of guy. Um, and uh, Acts is a second of a two-part drama, really. Um, so Luke wrote uh, Luke's gospel about Jesus' life on earth. And then he wrote Acts. So Jesus had left the world, but still grows his kingdom. So Acts is the second part of Luke and Acts. And it is not a dull book. It is not boring, okay? Uh, Jesus' kingdom is expanding. It's exploding, you could say. Jesus is pushing out his kingdom further and further. He's pushing it out. And I'd really encourage you um, in your own time afterwards to read um, the first eight verses of Acts in particular. Uh, Jesus tells his followers there that they're going to be his witnesses to him. And they will start in Jerusalem in the city. And that was mainly the first seven chapters of Acts. And then Jesus will push, push, push his kingdom out. And that started to happen in chapter 8. Persecution kind of scattered believers out of Jerusalem. And so in chapter 9, where we are today, uh, we're in this new phase. The boundaries are being kind of pushed out. Jesus' kingdom being pushed out. And eventually, Jesus says, at the beginning of Acts, they will reach the ends of the earth. That's where they're going. And really, there are two main things for us to see in in this passage today. Two main things. And they tell us a huge amount about how Jesus builds his kingdom. Not just back then, but also today. So let's look at the first thing. The first thing, which is trust in Jesus' kingdom-building power. Trust in Jesus' kingdom-building power. Verses 1 to 9. So do read along with me. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, that's the Christians, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As Saul neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. How do we see um, Jesus' kingdom-building power 
here. That's what we're looking at. Um, Well, the fact is that in one sense, there could be no one less likely to put their faith in Jesus Christ than Saul. No one less likely. Uh, Do you know the phrase um, red mist? You know that? Um, It's that thing you you get when people, you're so angry that you get in a total rage and the red mist comes up and if you were a cartoon, your face would be just bright red, steam coming out of your ears, that kind of thing. That red mist was effectively what Saul was like when he thought about Jesus. That's what he was like. He absolutely loathed Jesus. Now, why was that? Well, because Jesus stood totally against everything Saul believed in. Uh, Saul was one of the kind of the top top dog Jewish uh, religious leaders at the time. And he was uh, obsessed with God's law uh, and not in a good way. So he was totally convinced that the way to know God was through religious zeal and law-keeping. That's how you know God. And he was totally convinced that Jews and only Jews were God's chosen people. Non-Jews were beyond the pale. God would never accept them. So uh, religious zeal and only the Jews... That's what Saul believed in. And now Jesus came along and said, no, 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 no. In Jesus' ministry, it said the opposite. Peter said the opposite. You can't know God by religious zeal, but only as God's undeserved gift to you. It's undeserved. And it's not just Jews, therefore, who can know God, but anyone And let alone the fact that Jesus achieved this gift by being executed. To Saul, that was just ridiculous. Why would God do it that way? So for all these reasons, Saul hated Jesus Christ. He hated him. If he thought of Jesus, he would get the red mist. He just hated him. And it's because of that here that we read about Saul going to amazing lengths to kill off Jesus' followers. And they're the Lord's disciples in verse 1. So, so verse 2 literally says he was breathing out threats and murder. That's the phrase there. Threats and murder. Wow, that's, that's not very nice, is it? That is not nice. Breathing out threats and murder. Uh, he got permission and was prepared to travel to Damascus to hunt down Jesus' followers. That's a long journey, about 130 miles or so. And he's after men and women. He's just going to lock them up in prison. That's what he's going to do. He wants the world to be rid of Jesus and his followers. And he'll do anything to make that happen. This guy's a nasty piece of work. Is Saul on a seeker course investigating Christianity? No, he is not. Is he um, mulling through whether to follow Jesus as his saviour? No, he is definitely not. He is not about to put his trust in Jesus, never in a million years. But then Jesus turns up. Because nothing, nothing is beyond the power of Jesus. Verse 3. On the road, Jesus flashes a light from heaven all around Saul. And effectively it flings Saul to the ground. Saul... Saul, why do you persecute me? I am Jesus, 
whom you are persecuting. And as an important kind of side note, uh, do you notice, notice that if you, if you persecute the church, you're persecuting Jesus? That's, uh, I imagine, that's an encouragement for the church, but that's also a warning to persecutors. But anyway, but, but Jesus says, Saul, Saul, um, get up, go into the city, you'll be told what to do. And by this time, uh, Saul is blind as well. He cannot see a thing. And that's, that's apt, isn't it? Jesus is saying effectively, Saul, I, I blind you because you thought you could see rightly about God. But you're wrong. You're wrong. You've been blind. So here, be blind for three days. And in those three days, he changes Saul's mind. He changes Saul's heart so that he'll follow Jesus. Do you see Jesus' power here? Never in a million years would Saul follow or trust Jesus. But here, now, Jesus has called him. To help us understand just how amazing that is, I think it's helpful to, um, uh, to compare it with our world. Um, so, I mean, the way that our world generally works is... Um, Whenever we have a you know, proper enemy, um, we are powerless to call our enemies to follow us. We are totally powerless. Uh, one example, in a way, would be um, the fairly recent uh, horrible mosque attack in New Zealand, which you um, would have seen on the news, probably. Now, when that happened, in one sense, the New Zealand Prime Minister was really admirable, uh, she literally embraced um, some of the victims, and their, no, their, their victims' families, rather. She was really kind to them. It was really admirable. But what's interesting is, of course, when it came to the attacker, she could do nothing to change his worldview. Nothing. She condemned it, but she couldn't change his mind. And in fact, she had no power to kind of embrace him. She had to say, there's no place for you here. You are not welcome. Now, of course, I get that. I understand that. That's right. But, but my point is, in our world, we have no real power to call our enemies to follow us. It's totally beyond us. What Jesus did is extraordinary. He appeared to his worst enemy and called him and changed his mind and changed his heart. And that power is the power by which Jesus makes people into his disciples. Rarely is it quite as dramatic as uh, with Saul, uh, but Jesus has that power. And in fact, uh, even though Saul was uh, perhaps surely the worst enemy Jesus had ever had in history, actually all of us have been enemies of Jesus. For all of us, that is our, our natural state. Until Jesus softens our hearts, we do not naturally like him. We don't like his claim to have authority over us as Lord, our maker. We don't like it when we don't like what he says about our hearts. So here today, if you say you trust in Jesus, it's because Jesus, by his power, has changed your mind and your heart. That is how he's brought you into his kingdom. That's Amazing, isn't it? That's amazing. So, 
Trust Jesus' kingdom-building power. Trust Jesus' kingdom-building power. Now, why does this matter for us? Uh, Why does it matter? Um, If you would say um, you don't yourself follow Jesus Christ, well, a couple of things to mention, really. Um, If, perhaps, uh, you're ashamed of your past, perhaps, and you think God would never call me, could never call me, well, Saul's example shows that that's not true, actually. God wants you to come to him. On the other hand, if you think perhaps, oh, I don't need Jesus at all, actually, to call me to God. I, I feel okay without him. Well, can I ask, why are you so sure? Please consider what the Bible says, that you might be blind spiritually to your need for Jesus. Uh, what about uh, if you are following Jesus Christ? Well, well, I think God is calling us here to open our eyes, really. Open our eyes to Jesus' kingdom-building power. In general, um, in this country, currently, God's kingdom doesn't seem like it's growing very, very fast. Many people are dead set against Jesus. Either they follow a different religion, perhaps, or they scoff at the idea of there being a God at all, or they can't get their heads around why, it, why does it even matter at all. This can cause us to give up. No one will come to Christ. It doesn't feel like it happens anymore. You know, you have those kind of thoughts. Well, one thing with that is, are we saying God has no power to save people? Because if we are, this passage tells us we've got that wrong, actually. We've got that wrong. He has the power. So let's ask him. Let's plead with him. Let's expect that maybe he will call the most unlikely people. Maybe he will. Here's an idea. I mean, as Eddie said earlier, I mean, how about how about ask yourself or talk to someone else about this? Um, who is the most unlikely person I could think of to turn to Jesus? Ask that question. Um, maybe think now. Who, who would who would that be? Who do I know of? Who do I know? Who's that person in my mind? It could be know, a school friend, even who just laughs about Jesus. It could be. Um, uh, that colleague who just digs at you every week about Christians being hypocrites. I don't know, maybe it's that. It could be that neighbor who makes snidey comments every Sunday you come back from church. It could be that um, cousin who just will never come to a church, even for a, 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 a funeral of a loved one, just because it's a Christian place. I don't know who it is for you, but maybe think of someone. Have someone in mind. Would you pray for that person this week? Would you pray for them? Pray for God to call them to Jesus. Believe that he can do that. He can do that. Pray. Trust that it's not impossible. So that's the first main thing we see in this passage today. Trust in Jesus' kingdom-building power. And let's move on to the second thing, verses 10 to 19. 10 to 19, trust, trust in Jesus' kingdom-building plan, secondly. Trust in Jesus' kingdom-building plan. So from verse 10, do you read along with me? In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered, The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. 
for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. Let's pause there. What is Jesus' kingdom building plan? What's his plan for building his kingdom? That's probably the question that's going through Saul's mind and through his prayers as he kind of waits for those three days. That's probably also the question going through the minds of this guy called Ananias. Ananias has heard Saul, dreaded Saul, is on his way. God, what does that mean for your building your kingdom here? What, will it survive? And then Jesus is called to Ananias in the vision. Saul is here. Go to him. Ananias is like, what? Are you kidding me? What do you mean, Lord? This guy's on the warpath against us. Lord, what is your plan here? I don't understand. Verse 15. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. This is in my plan, Jesus says. I have chosen Saul. Not only have I called him, but I'm going to use him for good. He is my instrument to proclaim Jesus' name to Jews and non-Jews alike across the known world. Literally, the word uh, proclaim there is uh, carry. Carry. Uh, So the man who wanted to destroy Jesus' name forever is now going to carry that same name, the saving name of Jesus, across the known world. This is an extraordinary plan. This is Saul. Jesus hates Saul here. And much of the rest of the book of Acts tells us just how this happens. Saul goes on these epic kind of missionary journeys, kind of relentlessly telling people about Jesus and his death and his resurrection. He goes to Jewish groups, he goes to the high priest himself. He even ends up in Rome to, talk to, to go to Caesar, to see Caesar. And every step of the way, he's telling people about Jesus and building up Christians in their faith. Saul's impact was huge. It's extraordinary. What a God that he would work through his previous enemy to do this. What a God. And it's true that over the centuries, God has called lots of different people to have extraordinary um, impact in certain ways for the gospel. But, but here's the thing with this as well, is that Jesus' plan to use Paul, as he'd become known, for growing his kingdom, is not just extraordinary. It's also very ordinary. It's also ordinary. What do I mean by that? What do I mean? Well, every single person who puts their trust in Jesus is brought into this same kingdom-building plan. When you come to Jesus, he, he binds you to him. You are united with him. He is your Lord and you are his child and his servants. He binds you to him. And he gives you his name. You are in Christ. You are a child of Christ. 
And because of that reality, he gives you his charge to carry his name wherever you go. Now, just to be clear, the, I mean, when I say carry his name, to carry Jesus' name um, is more than just kind of having the label Christian, as it were. Um, it does mean to speak of Jesus' name, to speak of him. And that's why the translation proclaim is, is quite a helpful translation. Saul himself went very far to do that. He went uh, across the Mediterranean, miles and miles. He, but even if you just stay in one neighborhood all your life, Jesus still calls you to carry his name there, to tell people about him. That is the ordinary way by which Jesus grows his kingdom. That's his plan. Are you excited by that, is a question. You don't have to say, but are you excited about that? That plan is so extraordinary, and yet so ordinary as well. It's a plan that we are all part of. And there are a couple of other quick and important parts to this ordinary plan, which won't spend too long on it, but just to say this, because these are important, we need to see these here. Um, the first of these is that verse 16, Jesus also says, he says this, he says this, he says, I will show Saul how much he must suffer for my name. Suffer, I realize that's not sounding quite so fun now, Chris, actually, is it? Suffer for my name. Because Jesus' name is often hated and because Jesus himself suffered crucifixion, so as Christians are bound to Jesus, so we will suffer too. That's the ordinary pattern. And like most people, I, I struggle with this. I struggle with it. You know, last week, I mean, a silly example in a way, but tiny example of this. Um, last week I had a, a lovely long chat with my next door neighbor, the first proper chat we'd had. And I had this passage on my mind um, so I had this kind of slight to and fro in my head, which was, Lord, I want to carry your name into this conversation, but am I going to suffer for it? Will she tell me I'm actually a bit of an idiot and just walk off? I mean, that's, that's hardly suffering. That is not even suffering at all, really. But it's, it's a struggle, isn't it? It's not always easy. At the opposite end of the spectrum, yesterday I was reading about a lady called Isaiah in North Africa. Muslim family, she turned to Jesus. Her dad told her brother to beat her up twice a day until she changed her mind. That's suffering. What about for you? What might you need to suffer for carrying Jesus' name into a conversation or some other way? Ask Jesus for courage to do that. Jesus' plan is to build his kingdom through us, carrying his name and suffering for his name. That's ordinary kingdom building. And there is one final thing too that's ordinary. I wonder if you pick that up in the passage. Jesus' kingdom building plan happens through his church. It happens through his church. Do read along with me from verse 17. Then Ananias went to the house, the house where Saul was staying, and he entered it. Notice Ananias, he obeys Jesus, doesn't he? He obeys. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. And he could see again. 
he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. What about those first actions and words of Ananias? Do you see that? Placing his hands on Saul, he touches him. And he says, brother, Saul. Wow, brother. Ananias accepts Saul. Saul of all people. He accepts him as a brother in Jesus Christ. He's come into the church, the local church in in Damascus. He's come into that. Because the local church is how you grow as a believer. The church is how you serve God. It's how you, together as church, kind of push the boundaries of Jesus' kingdom to welcome people in. And Saul himself would totally get this. Totally get this. One of the things that we will see, especially on his missionary journeys, is how Saul was not actually a lone ranger. He wasn't. He did not just do his own thing. He carried Jesus' name and set up new local churches of new believers. He would stay until he was confident they could grow on their own, with God's help. And then he would return uh, to those churches as often as he could to keep building them up. That's what he was all about. And he would encourage those same churches to get on with the same plan, to keep taking the good news out. Jesus builds his kingdom through his church. That's Jesus' ordinary plan. This is his plan for us here at St. John's. And whatever churches you'll be in no, in the rest of your life, that's his plan. So, so here's what we've seen today. Here's what we've seen. We've seen how Jesus grew his kingdom back in Acts and how he continues to do that today through his power that can call his worst enemy and through his plan, people like you and me carrying in Jesus' name, suffering for Jesus' name, and Jesus building up local churches and using local churches. And the point is here that in reading and hearing this, God calls us to trust him. Trust his power. Trust his plan. He is a God of mercy and grace with the most extraordinary power to do the unthinkable, the impossible. But he also uses the most ordinary ways. Us, you and me. We're the ones he calls to talk about Jesus. That's his plan. Remember that kind of most unlikely person you thought of earlier, perhaps? Do you remember who you were thinking of? For that same person, think, what can I do? What can I do? How can I put Jesus' plan into action here? How can I carry Jesus' name into conversation, perhaps? Help me, Lord. Help me trust. Help me give it a go. Even if I suffer, help me give it a go. I am not promising what will happen next. I don't know. God knows. But I am promising that if you, if you think like this and pray like this, and have a go like this, then you'll be thinking God's ways. You'll be praying God's ways. And you'll be having a go in God's ways. Do we trust him? 
He knows how to build his kingdom. Trust his power. Trust his plan. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we praise your name that you are building your kingdom through your power and through your plan. Lord, we are sorry for the ways we've made you small and sorry for the ways we've uh, neglected our role, perhaps, in your kingdom building. Build your kingdom, Lord. Call people to the Lord Jesus and give us hearts prepared to carry his name and even suffer for it so that people may know you and that you may be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.